0: Welcome to Vermont Artists and Authors, where we interview great storytellers and artists from the amazing Green Mountain State. This is episode two. I'm your host, Barney Smith of storycomic.com, and we're excited to have with us the acclaimed Vermont science fiction and comic book author, Mike Luoma. So before we dive into the expansive universe that you've created, do we want to first introduce yourself to our listeners and and viewers on your background and where you come from, Mike? Sure, I guess. (laughs) I grew up in uh,
1: Massachusetts and then ended up coming up here to Vermont, where I live now, to go to St. Michael's College. So after graduating, I stuck around here and I did radio actually in Vermont for, God, 30 years. So um, that was my, my day job. And then I started getting into more and more writing. I've written my entire life and and drawn comics even when I was a kid. uh, When I was in junior high school, I had a comic that I wrote a a script, a little strip called uh, Disgruntled Space Cadet. And and even like throughout high school and and college, I was writing, but I I only started to take it seriously when I was about to turn 40. And um, working in radio, I had followed my dreams. But I kind of followed them toward a logical, not a conclusion, but an an ending. I had attained some things that I had wanted to attain. And and I was like, there's got to be other dreams I want to pursue. And one of them was writing. And it's like, you know what? I need to get serious about this. So it was when I was turning 40. I had been working on Vatican Assassin, my uh, my first novel, for a while. And what's great about living in burlington vermont where i am is i have a lot of friends who are writers and so i workshopped the book around a lot i had a lot of people giving me feedback and then i started to you know mail it out and try to get it published i wasn't having any luck at that uh don't know a lot of people i don't have a lot of personal connections and i was working full-time in radio so i couldn't get out to like writing conventions and make those contacts at that time so at about the end of 2005, as we were getting towards the end of 2005, and I was about to turn 40, the, uh, the station I worked for got sold, and they gave us each bonuses, which was nice. So I had a little bit of extra money, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to look into self-publishing, because I want to put this book out. And then I discovered I could do it as a print-on-demand book, and I put out Vatican Assassin. And lo and behold, people liked it. You know, I, I, I sold a whole bunch of copies that first year. But what you, you see, and even, this was 2005, so there weren't ebooks yet. These were all paperbacks that were selling print-on-demand through, um, Lulu is my, my printer, and they, they can sell through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and people were buying the book. And I was selling it locally, too. Uh, Borders was around at the time. And uh, they were in downtown Burlington, and they carried local books, and they carried my books. And the, the best part about putting out Vatican assassin myself at the end of 2005, right around my 40th birthday is that my dad got to read it. I gave it to him for Christmas and it was great because he, he was living with my brother at the time. And my brother says, yeah, dad just finished your book. And he turned to me and he said, Hey, this is just like a real book. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks, I know it, you know, but you know, um, He passed away in February of the next year. So it really meant a lot to me that he got to read that book. Cause he was like my main encouraging force in in my writing at that time. He bought me my first computer. He's like, what do you need to write? So I'm very glad I I did self publish and get that out. And about a year later, I was like, I got to figure out a way to promote my book more because with, with paperbacks, you'd see a, a, a spike at the start, and then they start to dribble off. And being DIY, I, I didn't have marketing. I just had myself. Then the the new owners of the radio station let me go. <laughs> so, uh, you know, those things come around. And I had time on my hands, and I had the radio background. So I was like, you know what? I think I'll try podcast. This new thing back in 2006. Nobody really knew what podcasting was, but that was really what helped my book take off a second time and get even bigger. Um, I put out Vatican Assassin as a podcast, like putting out a chapter or two each week. Uh, if you go back and listen to those early episodes, they're horrible. <laughs> uh, that's why they're, they're under a, a lock and key. They're, uh, you can get to them if you're a patron of mine on Patreon. But those are the only people who get to go and, and listen to those early ones. Otherwise, they're not publicly available because they're bad. <laughs> but also, when I was first doing the chapters, I came from a radio background and I was used to doing commercials. And when you're doing a radio commercial, you, you even cut out breaths because you're trying to fit everything into 30 seconds. So my first chapters I read of my book, I was like cutting out breaths. You were like, People were like, dude, I can't listen to that. It's going too fast. One guy was like, I listen to podcasts at twice Speed. I, I can't do that with yours. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I learned from that, and I learned a lot over time. Um, about a year later, I ended up finding a site called um, Books. It's no longer with us, unfortunately. But they were like the first site that was a, a aggregator for all these people that were doing podcast audiobooks. I thought it was a novel thing, but it turned out there were people that started doing it a year and more before me. So I was kind of like a second wave of podcast novelists, as it turned out. But meeting the people on Patio Books, that was like a huge community. It's a community that I still know the people from and I'm still a part of. The site itself is long gone, but the community of writers and listeners who were into patio books back in the day, if you will, um, is still out there and still supporting what I do, which is awesome. And, you know, at, there, there were people on potio books like uh, who became New York Times bestselling authors later, like Scott Sigler or uh, Nathan Lowell, you know, be, people who had some great careers, J.C. Hutchins, some guys that got some great books out. They, in turn, their listeners found me so it helped me out to be on that side as well. And so I have a lot to thank them for. You know? and, and things grew from there. I, I I wrote Vatican Assassin as like a long novel and I had to divide it into three parts so it became a trilogy. But it very much had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And once I finished the third book, Vatican Abdicator, I was already starting to work with beta readers. I don't know if you're familiar with that concept, but um For those who don't know, it's when you have a novel and you've written it, you turn it over to beta readers to give you feedback on on how it works, the flow. Different beta readers can give you like different feedback. Like some are good at grammar, some are good at catching continuity errors, stuff like that. And one of my beta readers noted in the last book of the Vatican Assassin trilogy that B.C. had a son whose name is Alibot and she writes well your next book better be about alibi (laughs) that was one of her notes you know and i was like hmm hadn't thought about that but then you know it just kind of opened it up and i decided that alibi wasn't due to different circumstances you know his father bc was an assassin his mother was kind of messed up um I don't want to give away the end of the trilogy by saying how she was messed up. But. So Alibi took his own last name. He took Jones as a last name because he didn't want to take either of theirs. And that's how Alibi Jones was born. And I began telling Alibi's stories. And Vatican Assassin kind of has a sort of a heavy religious, obvious background, also political and. I wanted to tell more of a kind of space opera adventure series sort of story. And that's, Alibi kind of came out of that. He was, you know, BC's son, but this was him entering a universe where, well, as as we get out there, we discover it's been going on a long time. We're We're kind of latecomers. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, there was this race about a million years ago called the people. Well, that's what they called themselves. Now they're referred to in hindsight as the ancient enemy because they basically took over the universe. They were tyrants and ran everything with an iron fist. And eventually the other races overthrew them. As they were dying, as their world was being destroyed, they sent off what they call star seeds that were like, you know, thousands of these indestructible sort of, pillar type things that had their DNA in them and went to different planets because they were trying to seed the stars so that they could bring their race back in the distant future. Somehow they had time travel plans and other things as well. These star seeds go out and the race that kind of rises up in their wake was a servant race to the ancient enemy. They became the Eldred and they basically ran everything not with an iron fist, but just kind of boring. They didn't like any change, so they kept things very static. And they also went after the starseeds. They tried to destroy as many of them as they could. A starseed landed on Earth. And it was hidden by a couple of alien races who wanted to find it for themselves. They knew it was here, but they couldn't necessarily track it down. That starseed started at our human race where in some ways the offspring of the ancient enemy as it turns out. So Alibi Jones, as he's like trying to find this old teacher of his in the, in the first Alibi Jones novel, discovers that she's been kidnapped by these like new version of the servant race who have brought her to this guy who seems to be, a reincarnated version of the ancient enemy. And he's trying to extra- extract DNA from humans to isolate the ancient enemy's DNA out of our system and reconstruct his race. So that's, that's how Alibi Jones gets started. He's trying to find a, a kidnapped teacher, but he discovers this whole other thing is going on.
0: I, I w- was able to read your Vatican Assassins because what you did is you, you took your stories, your books, and then you turn them into graphic novels. How much, so for the for writers out there, I guess, what was the thought process be, behind taking your novels and turning them into graphic novels? Well, I was writing comics too. When
1: I first put out Vatican Assassin uh, and discovered that I, I could self-publish. Uh, it, was, it was funny because the prose world was very kind of, I don't know. The prose world has always kind of looked down on self-publishing. It's gotten better over time and in some ways. But comics were always about self-publishing. They love seeing self-published stuff. And the year before, I was in a real creative mode. I had had just read uh, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics. And that like set off like fireworks in my head. It's not a light bulb. It was like fireworks. And there was this thing I had been writing called holy shit or pat robertson is the antichrist yeah i i i don't shy away from those kind of topics i guess i'm you know into fun things and uh, (laughs) so my 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 springboard after reading understanding comics i was like maybe i can turn this into a comic this pat robertson thing and i did and i i drew it inked it Lettered it all by hand, put it out myself, and it actually got good reviews. This was in 2000. Stephen Grant liked it over at Ain't It Cool News. He had a column at the time, which was awesome because I was an old Defenders fan, and uh, he used to write the Defenders back in the day, so that was cool. Uh, The guys, oh no, he was he was at Newsarama. The guys at Ain't It Cool said, I don't usually read religious stuff, but this was kind of cool. Every, everybody who read it was like, I like the writing, the art. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, 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 it was my style, but, it, you know, very, um, not what you'd call comic book style. A very yeah. personal style. Right. Yeah, if I wanted to go into cartooning, I would have been fine, but I wanted to do comic books. And I, I started working with Juan Carlos Quatorio, who's an artist out of Argentina on a book called Panthea Obscura, which was about the old Greek gods coming back to life. Mm-hmm. And that's where I kind of learned how to work with an artist and write a comic script. And I always kind of thought, you know, it would be really cool to, to have Vatican Assassin be a comic as well as a, as a, as a novel. And, and I don't know where the genesis of that was. It was just kind of like something that was going along. And I was like, you know, one day I would love to do this. And so I just started doing it. I, want, I wanted to to see what it was like to adapt the work. You know, what could I leave in? What can I leave out? And I, I like challenges. I like to learn from, from doing. And so I kind of mapped it out. I took the book and I took a giant sheet of paper and wrote down like all the story beats I thought had to be there in the in the comic as it was I still had to cross a lot out when you're when you're adapting from a novel down to a comic um, you got to cut a lot but you also you do a lot of describing in a novel that your artist is going to draw or that you know you're going to draw if you're your own artist and so you have to figure out what am I going to depict? What am I going to tell? What am I going to show? And that turned out to be really hard. I was I was surprised at, at how difficult the process it was. And it involved a lot of cutting. Later on, as I did the Alibi Jones stuff, alibis comics are different from what's in the prose books. There are other stories of alibis that you don't necessarily... Have to read both, but if you read both, you'd have an even bigger picture of his story
0: but so so that there, there are there are certain parts of the Alibi Jones comic book that's not in the book and vice versa yeah, because i wanted to, I wanted to have it I was trying to see if I could get people to do both, like
1: to to read prose and comics, which I mm-hmm. found at least for a while people were pretty reluctant to do, but um I, I did. I wanted to have, like, sort of, like, two levels of alibi stories going on. So the, the comics generally take place in between the novels.
0: Oh, okay.
1: But at a certain point, like, the, the first Alibi Jones comic came out with Earthbound comics, and then Earthbound went away. So the second issue took me a lot longer to get together. And I had all these stories... That were going to be in a, a supposed third issue, but what was happening is that I was putting out a novel that was going to take place after those stories, and it had taken so long to get the the second issue done that I actually put out those stories. I adapted back from comic book scripts into short stories. What became the short story collection, "The Time War of the Davreesia." Those were all originally supposed to be comic book stories, but. Um, One of them actually is one of them um, about time is in the the first Alibi Jones issue, but the, uh, it took so long to get that second issue done that the novels kind of outpaced the comics.
0: So that's so Okay. okay. So, So talk, talk to us a little bit about that. We have, we've talked to some people in the past that, that, that do that, that are pros, they are, they are writers and then we also interviewed uh, uh, we also interviewed andre owens who who like you, also writes writes scripts for comic books now tell me because you mentioned you, you you hinted at it earlier how much of a how much of a of a challenge was it where you're saying that that what did you decide as a writer to say this isn't important enough to be in the the story did you also add in some easter eggs at all from the from the writing of the graphic novels. So your Vatican Assassin one, as you're saying, is basically it's the same story, but you just turned one, you just took your book and turned it into a turned it into a graphic novel. How hard was it to do that cutting? Oh, it was brutal. <laughs> it was a lesson, you know? It was really a lesson in
1: in what's important and you know self editing what to leave in, what to, to take out. Uh, oh, and and as it turns out, the, the graphic novel is really only the first novel of the trilogy. I, I didn't end up doing books two and three as okay. comic books, as graphic novels, because it was such a, a huge
0: undertaking. Wow, okay, because I did read, okay, all right, all right. Because uh, I did read three of those issues, of your Vatican Assassins, yeah, and it was a. F- I, uh, I did read, yeah, and I and I did read your Alibi Jones as well. So, yeah, that's the uh, that's the later edition
1: of Alibi Jones. I, I reissued um, the first issue myself after um, after Earthbound went away. Mm. So uh, that actually is an expanded edition that has a, a story that was in an Earthbound anthology, in addition to the ones that were in the the first issue as well. So.
0: Right. And so this was back in 2000. 2000 so about 15 years you've been self-publishing. Yeah. yeah. So how, so the, so if you have, if there are writers out there that are listening or watching this, who, who are wanting to know, how do I do this? How do I start? What's some advice for them? Just some, some very specific advice that you wish somebody who had 15 years of self publishing experience would have told you. Don't wait for
1: permission. Just do it. Yeah. You know? and, and ask other people who are doing it how to do it. They'll be happy to tell you. you know this is the thing. I, I, I do comic book conventions, I also do a lot of science fiction conventions as a, as a science fiction author, and I love doing those um, self-publishing panels. I'll sit up there and, and, and spill out all the knowledge I can. you know
0: Vatican Assassin: the theme of it. Feels a bit different than Alibi Jones. Alibi Jones seems almost more, as you, you mentioned, like the space opera piece of it, it just seems so much grander in design, but it, it also seems a lot more lighthearted than Vatican Assassin. Why did you decide to kind of have a different, like a change of tone in the, the two stories, even though they take place in the same universe? Well, I feel like
1: Vatican Assassin, because the stakes get so high, everything becomes momentous and, and people get almost altruistic in their actions. And after writing that, where everybody was kind of doing the right thing, almost, you know, there, there were a few, of course, bad apples, but, uh, for the most part, you know, even though, even like BC, my lead character is not a great person, but he does the right thing, you know, ultimately. And, uh, I wanted to have a a universe where there was less black and white, where, where there was more shades of gray and I wanted to have a little more fun, I guess, you know, it was like, you know, let's, let's open this up and, and, and start getting out there because I, I did kind of introduce the idea of this expanded universe in the trilogy. You begin to, to meet the Eldred and realize that, you know, there's this, this backstory in a giant universe out there that we didn't know about. Um, it, what I have fun with too, is that in Vatican assassin, there's this group called the project that has already established contact with aliens. The rest of us have no idea what's going on. You know, you got to have those kind of, that's fun. What, what's, what's funny too, is that like I incorporated with, with like the, the star seeds and, and some of my mythology and some of my background like some of the stuff that fits into like ancient aliens and things. So there are people who are like, you know, you know,
0: and I'm like, no, I, 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 this is, this is my universe. So where where's your inspiration come from? Cause you said you started Vatican assassin was your, was your first take on it when you, when you first wrote that. And from that first inception of writing that, you said it started off as a short story correct mm-hmm. yeah i mean i was i was writing um
1: a whole bunch of things you know uh comic scripts short stories
0: just just always writing so walk us through when you started went from that inception of when you wrote that short story about about bc from vatican assassin to to this much broader giant universe that you've created talk walk us through that world building exercise how long did it take you where did you start uh yeah well it actually it came
1: out of that short story i i wrote a short story where this this assassin takes out the governor of lunar Prime, the city on the moon and then I was like, you know, this, this could be a bigger book. This could be something bigger. And so I began thinking, this is where we are now. The story probably happens about at this point in time. What would happen? And I just started to extrapolate what I thought would happen. And this was in the early 90s that I was writing this and doing my initial world building. So there's stuff I said would have happened already that we are just so slacking on. It's like the future never happens at the pace you hope it will. It really does. I thought we'd have orbital like stations and people living up there, we'd at least have colony on the moon. So my initial timeline won't work anymore. But that's (laughs) okay. I don't care that initial timeline. That's world building, you know. Um, but it really was a case where as i extrapolated i reached the point in time where i was going to tell the story and i kept extrapolating and that's how i told the story and knew what that that vatican assassin story was going to look like and it was vatican assassin because i really was i wanted to write something that i could really bear down on and really focus on and they always tell you write what you know well mm-hmm. i was raised a good Roman Catholic boy. Um, I was an altar boy. I became a Eucharistic minister. I used to read at Mass, went to St. Michael's College. Then I discovered religious cliques, and I didn't like that. And I didn't fit in that. I've never been a person who fits in any cliques. I just don't work that way. And and then Pope John Paul II said, you know what? You American Catholics are cafeteria Catholics picking and choosing it's all or nothing. You're either with us or you're out. And I went, bye-bye. <laughs> so um, I went my own way. But at the same time, I still had that background. And when I wanted to really write, I came up with an ecumenical new Catholic church that still had a pope. So this pope isn't the pope of the Catholic Roman Catholic church, but of the N, small c, C, the new Catholic church. and. Um, so, like, there were a couple of people who first reviewed it on, on Amazon. They're like, the Catholic Church doesn't work this way. Well, f- first of all, actually, it does, because I, I, I know these things and I know, you know, the papacy. And, and one of the coolest things, Barney, I got to tell you this this, this, was, this was like a mind blower. I write the Vatican Assassin trilogy, lead character. Just because I wanted to be this way, I called him BC instead of A, D, B, C, you know. And then I was like, well, what's his name going to be? So it became Bernard Campion. Well after writing this book, I was reading Winston Churchill's History of the English-Speaking Peoples. And I'm reading about actual Vatican assassins back in Elizabethan times.
0: Huh.
1: One of whom was named Campion. Huh. I, just, I was like, "Wow, well, I, I had no idea. And it's like, you know, that that's when you feel like the universe
0: is like looking over your shoulder, like, tapping yeah. down. <laughs> so what came, what came easier to you? What, what was the easier part of the world building exercise? Was it creating different, you know, uh, you know as you, cause it, you, looking at your, looking at your, your map that you've created for your Alibi Jones universe? You got different planets. You got different species. Uh, I know you got uh, you got a a cat species as well, and you have so many different races and languages. What were what were some of the things that you struggled with creating, and what were the things that just just came right out of your brain and was just it just flew right out?
1: There's a cat I wanted to show him. That's in the Alibi 3, which isn't what originally was going to be Alibi 3, like I was saying. Uh, it, it, for me, was like, things just kind of flow. You know, it's almost cliche, but when you get in a groove or you get in the flow, it's almost like you're opening up a window into another universe and you're peeking through and you're going, oh, okay. I'm taking notes. Yeah. Uh, it. It really did. It flew, it it flowed from from the story that I was telling. And one of my inspirations as far as as world building and storytelling is Frank Herbert's Dune. And so that has the kind of background that I wanted to have, where there's just a sense of depth in history. And another one in, in a different media is Babylon Five, by Joe Straczynski, and again he has an intricate background that's you know in some ways only hinted at in, in different aspects, but also pays off in in terms of story. And so I wanted to have that kind of a universe where where there where it was that big, and you know so it was like. I would envision different parts though at different times. Okay. The project is going out into the universe. They're establishing alien contact. What happens with the project? And I'd figure out the project story. Um, humankind is expanding this way. And this is what's happening with the government. Um, so it was like, I'd, I'd envision different aspects at different times. So like, as I, as I'm working further on, I still do that it's like the the government stuff is kind of its own story and then i'm like well how is that going to play with what's happening here and it's i don't know it's just fun (laughs) it flows it's like you know uh once i start doing it and sometimes it's hard
0: to get myself into it but once i start doing it it just goes right T- t- talk to us a little bit about the logistics of of your of, of creating these worlds in the sense that if if there's a writer out there who says, "Listen, I have a really good story. I can I can write this out. How do I find an artist? How do I do that?"
1: Wow, these days I'm not sure. Um, you know, the old days I'd go to digital webbing uh, the forum online, and, and and because I've been working as a, as a writer and, and a you know, publisher and a creator, I've got a whole network of friends who are artists and, and people I can work with. So nowadays I just usually put out a call and say, anybody looking to do something or, so I'd say um, if you're a writer, get to know some artists because you don't want to just show up and go, Hey, work for me, you know? <laughs> um, but, I would also say be ready to to pay artists too. You know, um, some some artists will work for back end in the hopes that you'll get paid on the other side. But if you can, budget budget for an artist. You know, and and try to. I mean, remember, it takes about a, a, a day to do a page for most artists. So you, you want to think about a day's work. What would you pay somebody for a day's work? Um, and usually an artist will give you a break. My friends that I've worked with for a long time will give me a break now and hope we make money on the, the back end. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard. I would say, you know, get online. Facebook has comic creating groups you know, join some of those, find the artists before you start looking to ask them to do work, I think. And
0: and, and do you, do you set up some level, like, like a contract or something to, to make sure you're holding folks accountable? Would you, do you prefer to, you know, keep those business relationships or do you find it easier to work with friends? How does that, I would say if you want to keep
1: your friends and work with them, you have a good business relationship. You want to put a contract in place so that there's no questions. It can help you, you know, with the communication aspect of things. If you're working with a friend, you can almost err on on, on the wrong side because you you assume too much. You know, you assume you have a level of communication that perhaps you don't. So, I think it's it's even more important if you're working with friends to have a very clear contract. Having a contract doesn't mean that it's cold. It just means that you've spelled everything out so that you can move on to the personal stuff and have a good time doing it. And you don't have those questions. So yeah, I, I totally recommend a contract every time.
0: So, And how do you... Is, is there a, a good source to where you, where you find that sample contract if somebody's... Li- wanting to learn more about how to find these, is there, is there any good resources that you would recommend for, for writers to, to find contracts that they could use, utilize, samples? Um, there are some out there. You'd have to do
1: a search. I don't have any like off the top of my head. I can recommend um, the uh, horror comic writer, uh, Dirk Manning did a book called Right or Wrong. Now, W-R-I-T-E, right or wrong. And that one he does a, a, give out a lot of like nuts and bolts kind of comic business for writers. And, and also like things about respecting the people you work with and, and stuff like, you know, do a, a contract, have a contract because that will facilitate everything. Hmm.
0: And you and so now when you're talking about back in 2005, I noticed that you would have these artists that you work with, then you'd have the colorist that came in and do that. Now with just the technology of how things are digitally, do, do, you, st- do you still contract with, with, with multiple people when you're doing a book or now you just have just one artist doing everything for you now?
1: It depends on the artist. I mean, I was just doing Alibi Jones, number three. This is my most recent one. And for example, the there, there's two periods of time. There's time travel. And in like the present day Alibi, Alibi Jones stuff done by Casey Bouchard, he did his own coloring. But when it goes back in time and he visits his father, BC, it's the same team that did the graphic novel, the Vatican Assassin graphic novel, and in that case, Christian doesn't do colors, so I had uh, I got Juan Carlos to do the color He agreed to do that for me, okay. although although he was doing it as a favor. I I had run out of money for the project, and uh, and by the end, he he like screwed up a couple things. I'm like Juan Carlos, you can you do this? He's like, fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm going to kill you, man. <laughs> he's great. He and I have been working together since, like I said, 2006. And what's neat is that he's from a place in Argentina on the coasts uh, south of Rio de Janeiro called Mar del Plata. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful seacoast city. And I actually set uh, a few scenes in Mar del Plata. Yeah. And that's where the scenes take place in the past with me in this comic that he colored. So when he agreed to come on board and color it, he goes down to this church that's in the comic and calls me up from there and oh, cool. a he's like, Michael, take a look. This is the church. <laughs> and so I was like, he's showing me this, this church that he's about to color that uh, Christian had drawn. Cause I had given Christian pictures of it as references. Mm -hmm. so it was just kind of neat you know one one's great Juan carlos and i have have been working together and i'll I'll do stuff for him like
0: voiceovers videos and things so we help each other out right and so talk a bit about that a, a, a little bit more as well is that you said earlier earlier in the episode that you do uh you do podcasting and you you utilize uh podcasting as a as a as a form of also promotion of your books and is that something you would recommend to writers as well
1: i think so i mean boy you know podcasting has taken off and become such a different beast than it used to be um i'm not sure i'm not i I know it still works for me but i have a an audience that's followed me this long you know i've been doing it (laughs) for a long time now um
0: and yeah, I'm almost on episode 560. I think it is. So. Wow. And we, and also too, though you do have a background in audio as well as a as a radio DJ too, a radio host. So so you, yeah. you do have you do have the voice to to do it. And these days, I'm doing audio book narration. So wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're we're knocking on an hour already. So that was pretty quick. Wow. But so. so how would have you ever thought about making your Alibi Jones universe like a uh, a shared universe in the sense of like an open source universe? They have other writers and artists uh, tell stories in that, or is it still pretty much close to your chest right now?
1: it's It's pretty close, but if I had somebody come up and say, "Mike, I'd like to tell a story in your universe," I would say yes, you know if they were the right person, if I liked their work. Um, and I know enough writers that that could happen one day. Like there's certain, there are things in the stories that could be taken and run with, you know, it's like, and, and they're there deliberately. Cause maybe one day I want to do that. I want to run with them myself. Uh, I've set up a character that was Alibi Jones, former girlfriend, Katie, as her own independent character. You could write a whole series on her now, you know, it's like, I haven't done that, but I could see somebody taking that and running if they wanted to. Um, yeah, I mean, it's my playground, but I'll open it up. I'll let other people play in there, get on my spin set, yeah.
0: <laughs> and you do have you do have a timeline on your website at glowinthedarkradio.com for your Alibi Jones universe, and you have a map. Do you have... Uh, is there a, a wiki? So if anybody wants to look up like the bios of different characters and, and different races and planets and any of that stuff as well. Uh, I,
1: I wish, but I'd rather put my time into the writing. So yeah. I ha- haven't done the wiki and since nobody else is stepping up, uh, no wiki, sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's amazing. To, as you're talking about it's like, it's so in depth and it's so immersive and, and there's so many different and, you know, it's just listening to your podcast because I subscribe to your podcast is is also hearing all the. Um, it just it seems as though that you, you plant some story seeds as it goes along. And do you ever kind of get overwhelmed by having to reread some of the stuff to say, oh, I have to answer that question or I have to I left that hanging. Does that ever happen to you?
1: Sometimes. Um... And sometimes I'll deliberately leave something fallow. You know, I'll just kind of like, you know, this character's done his bit. He's, he's retired on earth now. Fine, But you know, sometimes a reader will come back and they'll be like, Hey, whatever happened to so-and-so like there's a character named Mark Edwards, who is the guy who becomes governor after BC assassinates the governor. And, and he just kind of goes away after failing at, reelection in vatican ambassador but I, I had one of my my readers was like dude whatever happened to mark edwards so he actually shows up in the first pages of the new alibi jones novel that i'm putting out in may
0: oh wow okay oh so yeah before we leave, t- talk to us about your your upcoming book
1: Yeah, yeah i'm i'm, I'm like i on deadline for rewrites right now uh, it's called the Star Seeds of Earth. It's the latest Alibi Jones adventure, and as I was mentioning, the ancient enemies sent out these star seeds a million years ago, and one landed on Earth. So Alibi is trying to find that star seed as 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 a kind of job for somebody. Somebody's hired him, kind of do to do this. But at the same time, Alibi discovers that these star seeds have amazing potential, and could actually possess all the knowledge of that race of the ancient enemy. So all of a sudden he's not really sure he wants to give this thing if he finds it even to this guy who's hired him. And so it's um it's it's, it's kind of the story of 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 Alibi Jones trying to find the star seeds and what happens. And uh, takes place at the Hornet's Nest. Uh, that that's alibi's base now i should mention but you got to read the books i guess you know catch up and <laughs> uh, it takes place right after this like i said i, I kind of write the the comics so that they take place in between the novels and so this ends at about christmas time in the year 2012 and uh the star picks up in like may of 2013 or 2113.
0: So. I was going to say, all right. Yeah, okay. a <laughs> 100 years.
1: But uh, yeah, um, it, it, it's been a lot of work. This, this novel has taken me a long time to, to put together, almost five years. So I'm looking forward to putting it out. I was supposed to launch it at Balticon, which is this big science fiction convention that I go to every year down in Baltimore on uh, Memorial Day weekend and unfortunately
0: canceled of course with right the virus and all. Yeah. But so where where can people uh, where can people find you at Mike? Well, people
1: can go to glowinthedarkradio.com. That's probably the the easiest thing. I've got links to everything from there or mikeluoma.com takes you to the same site. Okay. So,
0: all right. Yeah. I mean, you're everywhere, Mike, you guys, you got your Patreon, you have a, a very successful, very long running podcast. You have your, your books are also on comiXology and drive-through comics as well. Mm-hmm. And, and also too, is that I've read your stuff through, uh, through Kindle direct as well through Amazon as your stuff as well. Yeah.
1: Um, it's on Barnes and Noble and Kobo yeah. and um... I, I'm not one of those people that will go exclusive with Amazon, so you can yeah. find myself in more online stores than just Amazon, which I think is important i'm not a, I'm not the biggest fan of Walmart, but all of a sudden, thanks to some of the distribution I've got set up, my
0: audiobooks are at Walmart. Yeah <laughs> So go figure right so So people can find you there. Well, thank you very much, Mike. This has been good. It's been great to dive to have a deep dive into the Alibi Jones universe, which I've always been a fan of. And we'll look forward to the the your next book coming out.
1: I could I could talk about this stuff all night, so thank you,
0: Barney. <laughs> Appreciate it.